Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are the prison epistles. Good morning, New Life. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we, we offer this time up to you and we ask, we invite you to, to meet with us, to speak to us through your word. I got to open our eyes to see the reality in our lives and, and, and open our eyes as well to see the truth that you're calling us into. May the words of my mouth and, and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm uh, pretty thankful this morning that I removed my hat of stumbling. <laughs> Woo! That was a close one. Um, this week, driving over uh, some of the rivers in town, uh, again, just, just shocked, as, as I'm sure you were, by the power of, of the water underneath, and also wondering if it was going to you know, take out the bridge I was driving on. Um, but it reminded me uh, of a time uh, a number of years ago when I had the opportunity to go whitewater rafting. Well, not really whitewater rafting, um, whitewater kayaking. See, uh, we showed up as a group uh, on the Chilliwack River to, to head out, but when we arrived, we were told the river was a little too low, and so uh, the raft would get stuck with all of us in it. And so uh, a young kid and his dad ended up in the raft, and the rest of us were given these open-top inflatable kayaks. Yep, they were basically a glorified balloon uh, that we went down these rapids in. Uh, and uh, I found myself uh, behind, I don't recommend them, by the way, uh, I found myself in behind uh, the raft. And sure enough, there was, there was only one route through uh, sort of the, the steepest, sort of fastest, rapid part of the river. And I was behind the raft, and, and of course the raft got stuck. It got hung up. Uh, and so I had, to, I had to, to sort of somehow keep myself from going down this, this, this rapid section. So I'm paddling backwards which the kayak is not really meant to do in the rapids. And so I, I'm doing my absolute best to try not to run into this raft and sort of not real happy about the whole situation. Uh, when sure enough, inevitably, a wave kind of caught the back of my kayak. Gordon is looking at me with disdain right now. Uh, caught the back of my kayak and just threw me, shockingly. It just like threw me into the river. Uh, and, and here I am in the Chilliwack River going through this rapid section. And the force of the water is unbelievable. It, honestly, I think it's probably one of the scariest moments of my life is the river is just, I have no control. I'm desperately trying to like flail my way to the shore, um, but it's, it's pulling me down really fast, but also hidden beneath the surface of the water, there are all these rocks. And I just remember the water throwing me into these rocks and like bruising my ribs and uh, knocking the wind out of me. It was, it was a terrifying process of being at the mercy of the power of this water pulling you downstream. Uh, and it got me thinking about um, sort of currents and, and streams in, in our lives. Um, it's been said that, that culture is, is kind of like this sea, this water that we swim in. The culture around us and the symbols, the imagery, the truth... Uh, the way that we perceive ideas and reality, uh, the culture we're in is kind of like a sea, and, and we can't really escape it. It, it shapes, in many ways, how we view reality, uh, how we view each other and relationship and normal and all these things, and it's just a sea that we kind of steep in like tea, and it changes us and it molds us, and, and, and I think what Paul wants to call us to here is to think about the currents that are pulling on us, the cultural currents that are pulling us, and whether or not we're, we're drifting away from the center, central aspect of our faith. Um, so we're going to dive into, the, into Colossians here. We've been working through it in the dailies. Um, Paul is writing to a church that, that he's never actually been to. Uh, Paul had led this dude, Epaphras, to faith uh, somewhere else. 
Epaphras went back, presumably to his home in Colossae, planted a church, uh, and has sent reports, has come and sent reports to Paul about this church, about some of the victories that are going on, uh, but also some of the struggles that are happening within this church. And Paul is praying regularly for it. Uh, and, uh, and this is Paul's response, a letter he's sending back to this church in Colossae. So we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 19. Um, Paul wants to begin here in the letter by talking about the centrality of Jesus. Uh, so it's on the screen here behind me as well. For in him, all the fullness, this is, this is Jesus. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he's talking about Jesus, that Jesus was in fact God, that Jesus was, was, was God with flesh on. The incarnation was God entered into humanity so that through his death on the cross, he might pay for our sins. That he might take the penalty for our mistakes and, and our, our curse on himself so that we might be reconciled. That's a relational term. Uh, of being brought back into relationship, that which was, uh, a, was strained and astray, is once again been made new. Uh, then we jump down into uh, verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Uh, Paul does this lots, where he wants to remind people who they were before they encountered Jesus. Who they truly were, apart from the work of God in their lives. And, and over and over, Paul says that we were accursed. That we were condemned. That we were separated. That we were hopeless. That we were sinners. Even Paul himself says, you know, that he was the worst of all sinners. That we are, are separated and hopeless apart from the work of Jesus. And he always comes back to that and wants to remind us that we didn't earn it. We didn't, we didn't do it on our own. We didn't discover Jesus. That we were completely separated and hopeless before Jesus. And so that's sort of the foundation he builds on. Uh, and then jumping ahead a little bit in chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, so because, uh, because of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, who Jesus is, because, and there's this amazing poem uh, here in Colossae that he talks about the magnitude and the centrality of Jesus and the supremacy of Jesus, who was the creator. And the last time, a couple of weeks ago, I preached, we talked a lot about that. Um, and because of, of who they were as, as basically people who didn't deserve the grace of God, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he's not saying that they have to earn it, but rather walk in that which you've already received. Or as Paul says in other places, um, to live up to what we have already obtained that's been given to us. Become who we truly are. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, According to the elemental spirits of the world and uh, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Uh, here Paul is reminding them that just because something sounds like truth doesn't mean that it is. And he's wanting to warn them against false teaching. And over and over again, and we see in the New Testament, there's this constant pushback of be on the lookout, be aware, be alert for false teaching. In him also you were once circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here he's pushing back on some of the, the religion, right? This, this idea that you need to add religion to Jesus. There's certain things you have to do in order to be accepted. And, and we see that often in his letters. And he's pushing back on that, going back again, simply to the importance of Jesus and Jesus alone. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So he's really laying out again in, in this very excited sort of ongoing language of the, the, the surpassing greatness of Jesus, our own sinfulness, and, and living and dwelling in that relationship that the God has reconciled us. And so living in that and resisting the pull, these currents of false teachers. So, so if you picture sort of the ocean, and I know I'm mixing ocean water metaphors, but if you're in the ocean and you're ever surfing, there's different currents that can pull you along. And he's saying, listen, that you need to remain rooted and standing in Jesus alone and not be pulled by different philosophies and ideas, being pulled away by these currents. And we see throughout Paul's writings, and even here in Colossians, there's three particular philosophies or ideas that he wants to push back and he wants to warn people about. The first is mysticism. Uh, it seems like here in, in, in Colossae, there were these false teachers coming in, claiming that, that, that the angels needed to be worshipped. And almost like Jesus, they weren't good enough for Jesus, and they had to go through these, these angels. And there's sort of this angel cult. And, and Paul is pushing back on this mysticism. It's kind of a, a hyper-spirituality, hyper a, 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 a superstition that, that's creeping in, and people are, are bringing in and trying to add it to the gospel. Um, it might also be an early Gnosticism, which was a heresy we saw develop later in church history, all about there being like the, the flesh is bad and evil and the spirit is good. And ignore the flesh and pursue the spirit uh, and sort of this, this mystical hyper-spirituality. And he's pushing back and, and saying, no, Jesus, Jesus is what it's all about. The second uh, sort of stream, the false teaching that he's worried about here is, is uh, as he calls it in the text, sensuality. Uh, sensuality, if you see the Greek translation, it really means about the flesh, of the flesh. This, this focus on the physical. It's kind of the opposite of mysticism. Mysticism is all about the spiritual and focusing on that. And sensuality is all about the flesh and focusing on, on the pleasures of today. On devotion to pleasure, comfort. And high living. These were the Epicureans. One, one particular school of philosophy at the time. That ultimately life is all about happiness. And he's pushing back on that as well. And he's saying no there's more than just drink. And more than just food. And more than just pleasure. He's saying don't get pulled away by that stream of the culture. And the third one he talks about is asceticism. Or, or the denial of pleasures. In order to earn favor. It's the self-abasement, and, and, and this is sort of the stream where the, the Judaizers come in, and that's how he calls them in Galatians, where they're, they're trying to add things to faith, saying you need to earn your way to Jesus through things like circumcision and the food laws and the type of clothes you wear and, and what you do on the Sabbath, and they add this legalism that Lelian has described so, so clearly. This, the, you need to go through certain hoops. You need to jump through things in order to be accepted by God. And he's saying it's not about that either. 
that it's about grace and, and grace alone. And so, so he identifies these streams that could pull people away from Jesus. He calls them out and he comes back once again to simply the gospel. In 2.23, it says, These indeed have an appearance. So these, these different streams of mysticism, sensuality, and asceticism. They indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These can't change our lives. These can't change our desires. These can't uh, really root out the sin and, and the issues in our life. The core that, that he gets back to once uh, time and time again, Paul does, is, is that we are separated from God. That we are hopeless. That we are under a curse. And that the only way that we're truly going to see change in our lives and our relationships is by coming to Jesus and him giving us a new heart. New desires. Real and lasting change through the spirit that dwells within us. As we remain rooted in relationship. And, and that's that reconciliation piece. He says it's about you having once again relationship with the God of the universe. Like it was all the way back in creation. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. There was relationship. And that's where the, those desires, those, those dissatisfactions, the, the, that restlessness in our hearts that we feel is because we're missing that connection to the source of life. And, and in Jesus, we have not fully, but we have this, this restoration, this reconciliation. Where once again, we're connected with God. And that is to be our life as we remain there. And it's kind of like in the sea of, of, of culture it's dropping anchor and trying to remain simply in relationship with Jesus. Uh, it's, it's the same thing that Leanne was talking about, about just remaining in Jesus and not having to judge others and not having to add these extra rules and drift off in different ways, but just day to day remain and go, Jesus, what do you have for me today? And so what does this mean for us? These, these 2,000 year old false teachings. I think actually they're pretty relevant. This idea of mysticism and sensuality and asceticism. They're the same core philosophies that we see today. They just wear different clothes. So today they would be wearing mom jeans, white shoes, and crop tops. That's for you secondary teachers. You'll, you'll get it. It's funny. Um, it's the same ideas, the same philosophies, just wearing different clothes. So mysticism today is, is, is sort of this Eastern spirituality that we see creeping in. Just go to the market in Salt Spring and you will understand everything about mysticism today. This, this new age spirituality, this hyper spirituality. Um, and and it's, it's this idea that, that everything is good and everything is God. I was uh, listening to the radio uh, just the other day, and there was this famous potter, apparently. Apparently, there are famous potters. I didn't know. Um, but a famous potter came on. He was talking about pots and really beautiful pots and how, how pots have this energy and this vibration. And you get the, the, their sense and their vibe from, from this. I went, it's, it's a piece of clay. It's, it's dirt that's been dried. That's it. And, but he's, he's talking about the spirituality of these pots and the way they speak to him and the energy they give off. Like, what? Um, it's pervasive. It's out there. It's all around. This, this idea of mysticism. And Paul wants to say, listen, yes, those ideas are out there and those philosophies are there. Don't get sucked into the current of these ideas. Because at the core, that this new age mysticism is all things are God. I am one of all things. So therefore, ergo, 
I am God. Don't get pulled into this philosophy. The second one, sensuality. It's not a real stretch to see where this one goes. Um, We actually would call this today, philosophers in many ways would call this perhaps existentialism, which is a really fancy word for being, hey, listen, I am all there is. I am all that I truly can know. I don't really know anything about you. All I know is me, and so me is all that matters. That's existentialism. And I'm oversimplifying, obviously. But at its core, that's what it is. And so therefore, if I am all there is, then then my experience is all that I can really pour my energy into. That's all that matters. It's just my experience, my existence, filling my life with, with whatever good things I can find. Uh, there was, you know, uh, there's a song when I was growing up that I think epitomizes this in some ways where uh, a Canadian band, Sloan, used to sing, if it feels good, do it, even if you shouldn't. You know, th- that's the philosophy. Or uh, Cheryl Crow, right? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Meaning all you have is happiness. That's it. That's all you can, you can pursue. And so you pursue it. And that's a philosophy that's huge in our day. And, and, and the only thing that's morally wrong in our, our day is really getting in the way of someone else's pursuit of happiness. And, and if you follow the train of logic, it is basically, I'm the only thing I can know. I'm the only thing that really matters to me. Therefore, there we go, I am God. I am functionally a God. It's the same that you follow the, the pattern of thought, and that's where it essentially leads. The final one is asceticism, and, and that's where we see, perhaps to a certain degree, legalism in the church today. But at the core, it's really about telling God. It's, it's commanding to God, saying, I am going to do these things, therefore you owe me. If I go through these, these certain laws, these certain lists that I set up, then God owes me. And, and it's separating Jesus from the picture in some ways and saying, I can earn my way to heaven. It really puts us in the driver's seat above God so that we can control God. And if we can control God, then we ourselves become God. We see this as well in, in uh, what's been called um, moralistic therapeutic deism. There's a sociologist that came up with that idea that basically says uh, much of the cultural push in this way towards this asceticism is uh, if I am a good person, and I get to decide on what that means... If I'm a good person, then God will give me happiness and the things I want make me happy. That's the therapy. Moralistic, therapeutic, and deism meaning, and then God will leave me alone. If I'm good, God will make me happy and leave me alone. And I will get heaven as a reward for being good. And again, it puts us in the driver's seat of being God. And, and, and I'm reminded of what Solomon said, where there is nothing new under the sun. These philosophies are not new. They are around us everywhere. We see them on every television show, on every billboard, in every, <laughs> every radio station. This is the sea that we swim in. And, and I think Paul wants to say, listen, first identify that these things are out there. They might sound, they might, they might come in different clothes, they might look a little bit different. But at their core, these are, are the streams of thought, the philosophies that are around us. And he says, don't be sucked in, don't be pulled down the river by these things. Instead, be remained rooted in Christ because it's not a new idea. At their core, these are very old ideas. You go back to Genesis 3, and it was the serpent who said to Adam and Eve, did God really say, and the very first sin was really about, I think God is trying to deprive you. 
And you know what? I think you know better than God. And I think you should be your own authority and make your own decisions. It was the very first sin. And it's at the core of all of these different philosophies and ideas. That you are God. You know better. You get to choose that you are at the center of the universe. The problem is that if we stop and simply look downstream a little ways at the lives of the people that we know who have bought in and are floating down these currents, I mean, we all know that there are just bodies washed up on the rocks. It feels really good in the moment. Like, whoa, this current is a lot of fun. But we know where that selfishness and that self-centeredness leads. And what Jesus comes back to is that it's about relationship and about abiding, resting, remaining in him, being rooted and anchored, not being pulled by these streams, but being in him. Not about this hyper-spirituality, not about the hyper-physicality, and not about our own laws where we try and be good without God, but rather remaining in him and him alone. And, and, and I think the big shift of what it means to be a Christian that we sometimes miss is that I am not God. That I was a sinner, that I was broken, that I am nothing. The Bible says that I am dust and vapor. That Jesus is at the center of the universe. That Jesus needs to be at the center of my life. And it's surrendering lordship, godship, if you will, to him. And that is actually where we find life. It's in that place where we actually find joy. And those things that we yearn for, it, it feels like an upside down way when we surrender our authority. We say, I'm not God, you are. But Jesus continues to call us back into this place. Paul says, Jesus is centered. It's all about Jesus. Put Jesus at the center and bow your knee to him. And in so doing, you actually find the life that we're striving for. About this restored relationship. About finding our delight and satisfaction, not inwardly in ourselves, but in him externally. And it's this radical shift. And so uh, I think Paul's appeal to us, his warning to us, is to first identify these streams around us that everyone seems to say is the truth. Just because someone says something is the truth doesn't mean that it is. And we ask ourselves, who is really in charge of my life? Am I being pulled by one of these streams? Am I floating down the river? Or is Jesus truly the centerpiece of my life? The lordship, the obedience, the submission, the worship of Jesus and Jesus alone. Do we orbit around him? I think identifying and then making sure that, that, that we are rooted and anchored there. Uh, and so the, the challenge perhaps this morning, even coming out of what Leanne had talked about, is um, this week it, it's wrestling with those, those streams of, of what am I living for? What's at the center of my life? What am I striving for? Um, and wanting to actually put Jesus central, not the rules that I come up with, not going, look, God, I'm, I'm good enough. And, and not just about Jesus helps me uh, get all the, the pleasure and, and all the things that I want in my life or, or this hyper spirituality of, of I'm on par with God and God owes me because I am also God. Um, but putting Jesus there. And so the, the encouragement, the challenge I have for you this week is, is as you get out of bed in the morning, something very practical, as you put your feet down on the floor for the first time in the day, is to simply take that as a moment of relationship. To start your day there of saying, Jesus, I want to remain rooted here in you, in this place where, where I am actually with you, that I'm doing this day with you, and I'm giving you this day. 
I'm giving you whatever comes up. I don't have to, it's not about me. It's about you. And start there in that place of reconciled relationship, and that is actually where we find joy. Open my eyes to see the lies around me, and start your day, feet on the floor, saying, Jesus, today's yours. Let's go. And I think if we can live in that place, it's a little terrifying, but I think there's life there. Let's pray. So God, I ask that you would open our eyes to see the culture around us, to see the way that it pulls on us, not to be, not to be swayed by, by arguments, but God, I pray that we would be rooted in you and the relationship that we have in you, that, that our life would come simply through knowing you. Help us to remain there, as difficult as it is of being pulled in every direction, of being influenced by so many places. God, I pray that you would help us to remain rooted in you and you alone. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.